Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Iris Cooper. Iris is a dedicated procurement professional who worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Department of the Treasury, and in the state of North Carolina's Department of Health and Human Services. All of her work is mission-connected and based on her belief that each procurement team can, and in fact must, make a significant impact in whatever communities they serve. So hello, Iris. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Now, in my intro, I shared a very high-level background and overview of your experience. But what else should people know about your journey to this point before we dive into the main topic of our conversation? So I would say if I look back on my career, I have spent over 30 years in public service, predominantly procurement and contracting. And I started with the Air Force as an intern buying weapon systems and research and development, which was fun and fascinating stuff. But I made the transition from Department of Defense to civilian agencies I would say mostly because of my mission connectivity and every career choice I made, I think people need to look at. It's less about promotion, but more about mission alignment for me and my personal beliefs and values. For example, working for Department of Veterans Affairs, my son was active duty army and deployed in Afghanistan. So that mission meant something to me every single day. Um, I would also say generally people retire from federal government and go to work for some larger defense contractor or larger federal contractor. I sort of made the surprising move to move to the state of North Carolina, which probably surprised even myself because <laughs> it doesn't follow the traditional career path, people think. So when you think about procurement and career path, don't always think about what everybody else does. Um, I believe in public service. It means everything to me. I think the mission every step of the way has been very personal to me. So it's it's a commitment I, I passionately care about. Well, and I find it so interesting that not only do you talk about public service, but you also talk about your mission-driven journey. And all of this is in the context of procurement. So I would be curious to have you speak sort of about that intersection. How do you describe the mission of procurement when you're putting it in the context of public sector health and human services? So I would say procurement is the enabling function in for every mission, right? Even more so for public health services. And here is what convinced me to come to the state of North Carolina. 
um, and work as the Assistant Secretary for Procurement Contracts and Grants. Um, I had my own personal journey and learned more about um, access to mental health care than I ever cared to know or planned to know. Um, my daughter had significant mental health issues and ultimately committed suicide. Very unfortunate, but I think without raising her, I would have never understood the challenge of public health, the challenge with access to public health services. And that's what made me so passionate about it. It's not only that, yes, I can do contracting. I've done this all my life. But I understand from an advocate perspective how critical those services are to people. And I think that matters, right? I, I think if I learned nothing from the journey with my daughter is every contract we put in place, every procurement we make enables a customer or a resident of North Carolina to access a service. And that's, that's my mission story for the Department of Health and Services. And then we specifically saw that in the pandemic. Every vaccine, every test, every personal protective equipment, mental health services, financial assistance, everything has a contract that supports it. That's why procurement is such a critical piece of the mission delivery. Well, and Iris, there there are no words. You know, certainly my heart breaks for your your loss of your daughter. Um, I am so grateful that you're willing to not only share that with me and obviously this listening audience, but it makes so tangible that connection between the work that you do and the impact that it has on those communities. You know, so many people think of procurement we all know the stereotypes, right? Yeah. Bean counters, penny pinchers, pencil sharpeners, all of those things. But that, in some cases, might be the work, but it doesn't come anywhere close to representing the impact that we can ultimately have. And from your loss, I think, comes a very powerful expression of impact. In fact, when we spoke previously, one of the things that you shared with me is a story about how you contextualize the impact of fixed dollar amount savings within communities. And I would love to have you share that story with me again so that everyone listening in can hear it and hold it as part of their thought process. Yeah, I think it's it's really important. I mean, while I am really connected to mission, I think it was really important for me to connect my staff to mission. It is sometimes very difficult when you sit in your little cubicle and you're buying, um, we buy, my organization buys vehicle modifications for people with handicap. Until you see the need of that person and why that matters, I think you, you are pushing paper in the background. And I, the story I think I shared with you previously, I also managed the purchase card program for the Department of Health and Human Services. And the more we use the purchase card, the greater the rebates the department gets at the end of the year. And so my purchase card manager had come to see me and said, 
well, we got only $20,000 rebate this year. Um, that's not very much and we should try to increase. And I said, so Sharon, let me translate that for you, what the $20,000 means in terms of community impact. Um, we, our organization also contracts with agencies to help us with special needs adoptions. And this is another personal intersection for me. I adopted two children. I deeply care about adoption and foster care and it matters so much and it's so important. And I said, so every spe special needs adoption, meaning a child with a disability or special needs, costs the state roughly about between six and $7,000. So $20,000 buys three special needs adoption, meaning three children who will have permanent safe homes. So we need to think in terms of dollar savings as to what is the actual community impact. And I would argue that given the experience that all of us have really had since early 2020, certainly not everyone has had the opportunity to have impact that public sector agency and organizations have had. And yet, I think many companies have had the opportunity to recognize how the efficiency of their supply chain helps individual consumers or puts medicines or vaccines in the hands of people that need it. That it may require someone such as yourself that's able to position $20,000 as three special needs children's placed in, in good homes or it may require us looking at our results and very deliberately trying to find that human connection for ourselves. Because I do think it's, it's empowerment, right? And I love your description of procurement as an enabling function. So often we might even diminish ourselves by using terms like back office or you know indirect, not for resale. But if you don't have every piece of the puzzle there, then the larger organization can't achieve its mission. And as long as that mission is on point with some community, then that work is just as important as the people that are opening their doors to pro provide homes for those children, isn't it? That's absolutely correct. And I think it is really important for each one of us who works in procurement to have a seat at the table. And I'll give you a good example. Throughout the pandemic, I was at every stand-up call every morning with our secretary to hear the statistics, to understand the needs, because the better I understood, the better I could target and procure what we needed. We need to be part of that discussion every step of the way, and not just when somebody sends an email and says, mm -hmm. I need. We need to understand the context in which services are needed. Yeah, no, we definitely do. And, and that context is so critical, especially where procurement does tend to be so metric driven, providing a little bit of, of three dimensionality to what those metrics actually mean. Now, one of the other things that I would like to have you touch on is we've talked about the importance and the value of having a mission driven connection between procurement and the communities that they serve. But there also needs to be the right kind of relationship between procurement and the larger organization that they're a part of, especially stakeholders, budget holders, decision makers. 
how can procurement go about building trust between themselves as individuals and as a team and the rest of the organization that they ultimately end up working with to select suppliers and put contracts in place? I think the trust building is absolutely critical. And one of the first steps I always take in every organization is to meet my customers, my internal customers. And I really listen to their pain points with procurement, because as we all know, everybody has plenty of complaints. Um, I try to understand their challenges and I try to understand their business. And I take my team with me to those discussions. So, for example, at Health and Human Services, I invited the deputy secretaries over that are over public health, mental health, um, social services. I invited them to come speak to my team so they could understand how important they are to that mission and build that connection. Um, same thing with my counterparts in budget, finance, IT. It is where one procurement is a team sport. You can't do it by yourself. It's not just when somebody throws something across your cubicle wall and that's what you're going to do next. It's we have to work together and we can disagree. But if you have that fundamental trust relationship, you can absolutely accomplish great things. I would also say it is critical to come to connect to your ultimate customer prior to the pandemic i spent several weeks traveling to each state operated healthcare facility here in the state of north carolina because my staff supports the facilities those are uh, psychiatric hospitals neuropsych facilities drug treatment facilities just so I could visualize and feel what the, the vibe is in that facility, what they need, how quickly they need it, and how we best support that. Um, and then there is the whole supplier relationship. Um, when I started in contracting, it was a lot of us versus them. Um, I don't believe in that at all. I think it is a lot of times vendor outreach and education and I'll give you an example. So during the pandemic, we heavily relied on community partners to communicate and work with, the, work with our constituents in North Carolina. So we have, North Carolina has a large Latinx community because we have agriculture, we have meat processing plants that are largely staffed by um, Latinx community members. Well, they wouldn't trust someone like me. So I connected and for the first time in my career wrote contracts with community-based Latinx uh, organizations. I walked them through the contracting process. I educated them on the requirements and they helped us and facilitated that outreach because they were trusted partners. And I think that's what's so critical. We need to understand ultimately, who are the customers we're serving and how do I best reach them? And if that's through another party that is trusted, that is fine. One of the things that I find so striking about what I've heard, and obviously, Iris, you and I are connecting today via audio and people are joining us later on audio. But in my mind, I guess at heart, I'm a writer. And so when I think about what you've shared, 
part of what starts to stand out to me is the pattern of verbs that you use to describe your work. So a few that I had jotted down during this whole conversation are things like understand and reach. You talked about meeting customers and listening to people's pain points and bringing your team in to be a part of that experience. And then finally, the connection that is so critical between your team, the organization as a whole, and the ultimate customer. And what I'd be interested in hearing is, so often on the corporate side of procurement, we're focused on driving results, increasing influence, um, very sort of power-oriented, climb-to-the-top types of verbs. And yet you've been able to have these meaningful outsized impacts through things like listening and connecting and reaching and understanding. What is some advice that you would give either around your philosophy or simply on a human level based on your experience that you think today's corporate listeners could potentially take and run with? So I would say it is a lot about building teams with accountability because in government contracting, public sector contracting, we're always tied to how do you hold a vendor accountable for results, right? That's, that's a big, big driver for us, but you can hold people accountable in a way that is not confrontational because in the end, we're all at the same, we're all on the same team delivering something. When we, the state, go out and procure services or goods, so our corporate partners need to be right there with us, and they want to be part of this mission. Our, I would say a lot of our vendors are very mission-connected as well, and they should share in any good or bad results we have because it matters to all of us that we have a result. Yes, I understand companies are in this business to make a profit, and, and that's totally acceptable. Um, but profit cannot be your only motive. I think if you're connected to the mission, connected to your customer, the end result will speak for itself. And I think that is the reputation you earn, whether you're on the government side or the industry side. And, and I can tell a lot of the companies I've done business with, they're trusted partners. Um, because there's nothing wrong with that partnership. That's, that is absolutely fascinating to me, Iris. And I, I truly do hope that people are not only taking that in, but doing what we sort of focused on here is really absorbing that into the way that they work. Now, every single guest that joins me here on The Sourcing Hero we wrap up the conversation uh, on a similar note, and, and I'm going to do the same thing with you. So I always present two options, and it's entirely up to you which, which of these questions you want to answer. Either how would you define what it means to be a sourcing hero, or how would you look at heroism? Now, I would typically say in a business context, but for you, Eris, I want to actually expand it a little bit. 
how would you look at heroism in an organizational context? But I'll, I'll leave it up to you which one of those you'd like to answer. So thanks for that choice, Kelly. Really appreciate this. I, I think I want to talk about heroism in a business context. And to me, heroism in a business context means sometimes, and I put it in quotes, coloring outside the lines. <laughs> because unprecedented situations, I think, require innovative and different solutions. Um, and I'll give you an example. I have worked disaster recovery in my career before. I was the director of procurement for the Maritime Administration um, after 9-11. So all of a sudden, we have hundreds of millions of dollars allocated for port security. And that was as simple as putting up fences and lights and making all of that happen in a matter of weeks. So <clears throat> I was looking for what is the fair procurement way to do this and let people compete who are capable of doing this work. And that was grant money, not procurement money. So what we ended up doing, we did letter grants. Normally, we, the federal acquisition regulation only talks about letter contracts, which allows you to enter into an agreement to be definitized later. And I thought, well, let me be creative here. So I went and talked to our chief counsel and said, you know what? If I do, do this the normal routine way with all the milestones, we won't get this done. And we can't secure the ports. But if I do letter grants, I can get this done. And here's how. And he said, you know what? There's no reason why you can't do this. Go for it. And we did. And it worked beautifully, right? Um, the same thing. I, I worked Hurricane Katrina recovery. And now we have the pandemic. So right. the regular contracting process is nice. And I'm not telling people to break laws or violate policies. But... There are many flexibilities baked in. So the heroism here is every once in a while, you got to be the kid in the room to raise your hand and say, this won't work here. And here is why it can't work. But why don't we try this? And that includes some calculated risks, the ability to advocate for something new, and even most importantly, allow your team to come in with innovative solutions, support them. And when something goes wrong and it fails, be there, be right there with them. And that's what it takes. I think it takes that kind of creative leadership, heroic leadership sometimes, because I've taken my hits every once in a while. But, you know, the tried and true in an unprecedented situation doesn't always work. No, you're absolutely right. And we have to be willing to both, as you said, take the risk of raising a hand and saying, this isn't the right solution for the circumstances we find ourselves in, but then also go on and be a part of crafting the solution that will work. It's not about shooting holes in other people's plans. It's about collaboratively coming together in order to make a plan that will work. Um, it, Iris, this has been an incredibly impactful and, and thoughtful conversation. And I'm, I'm grateful to you for sharing your experience and, and being so open with everyone listening in. If this conversation has really touched listeners the way that I suspect it will, what is the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? 
Thanks, Kelly. So at this point, I think connecting with me on LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, I'm in the process of hopefully reducing my role here a little bit with NCDHHS, but I will be continue to be involved in this community that I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, just developing solutions for the future. I believe in this. And my advice to every listener is be passionate and positive. And if you are stuck in a mission that you cannot identify with, that doesn't excite you, it's time to look around and move on. I've done it. It's tough, but you'll be better and happier for it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.